0: As I've been w- preparing for this and and uh, you know praying over today, I've, this this portion of scripture is one that is a it's familiar to you. But I hope I hope God speaks to you in a new way. And and um, you know as a minister I, I prepare sermons at least usually twice a week and and these this series you know we prepared months ago and we're working on it and as I'm praying and working through it you know and I feel like God speaks to me. And I, I don't know I, you know I don't know how many of you do kind of like what I do. But, you know, I, I prepare these for you, but he works on me. Does that make sense? I mean, as I'm working through it, I feel like each time I go over and work on it, I feel like, God, I'm, you're preaching to me again. Or I'm preaching to me, or I don't know how that works exactly. All I know is I feel like as I'm working through, I keep thinking, God, is this really for them or is it really just for me? And then sometimes I think, okay, I, you, you keep telling me these things over and over and over. Am I not getting it? <laughs> Maybe I'm not. But I'll tell you, I'm so excited about that. Just the idea that, that we serve a God who would come into our world, a world that, that, especially when he came, but even now, is dark and lost and hurting. And a world like that, but he came and he brought hope. And he brought hope in a way that was revolutionary. He brought hope that extended to everybody. He brought hope that changed social dynamics. He, he brought hope to, to a culture that changed the, the, the makeup between the genders where, where men and women were equal at the foot of the cross. He brought hope. He brought hope to a place that was dark and dangerous. He brought hope to a place where the only people who mattered at the time were those who were connected either financially or in the government. He brought hope. He brought hope in a beautiful, amazing way. We, the first week, we, we talked about the idea of that, that man who had come to Jesus, and he needed desperately healing for somebody. And he said, I don't know if you remember, but he said to Jesus, he said, if you want to, you can. And Jesus said, or he said, if you can. And Jesus said, well, guess what? I can. And then he said, if you believe. And remember, the man said, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so many of us as Christians, you know, we want to be super Christians and believe in everything all the time and see miracles as we walk through. And, you know, I've talked to people who who, uh, are so excited about what God is doing, and they're like, well, why can't we just go in the hospital and clean it out? Wouldn't that be awesome? And as I walk down those hallways visiting, you know, those of you who are hurting and and walk down those hallways, and, you know, I try not to peek in every room, but I'm tempted to do that. I'm like, what is going on in that room? And, And what is happening? What could possibly be going on in there? And what do they need from him? And as I'm praying and walking through and praying for the doctors and, you know, I'm thinking, God, help them as they help people. Hope begins to rise because we serve a God who restores our faith and gives us hope and belief when we struggle to believe. And then last week we talked about this concept and this idea that people are never going to feel welcome in our church until they feel welcome in our lives. You know, years ago, I remember, we, we used to do this, and I'm not opposed to this necessarily, but I can just see how it has a bad kind of bad connotation, but remember we used to just, we might do something like we'd say, well, I, I want you guys to just, you know, turn in a name or two of some people, and we're going to continue to pray for them every week, and then um, they, and I, I've, I've seen that where people would say, well, you know, I've been, I've been praying for this person, and over, and over, and over, and they, they end up kind of being almost like a like a target or something that they're after, like a like a goal to be won, or a trophy, or, and and really, that's not it. What it is, is we want to see people come to Christ, and know him in a way that is that is the way we know him. We want to share with them what we have. I thought of this, you know, because it takes commitment, it's sacrifice, and it takes opening up your world. And I just wanted to tell you a quick story about a friend of mine. Back when I, before I was married and I lived in L.A., I, I had a Harley and I wrote a lot. And, and I, I met a guy, he started coming to our church. And, and we came from very, very different backgrounds. But we we had at least the, the, the writing in common. And then, because I grew up in San Diego, you know, most of my friends and most of my world was was Mexicans. That's how it was. I mean, most of my high school, I mean, that was, that was just very familiar to me, and he was Mexican. He grew up in San Antonio, which if you've been to both those places, they're very similar. It feels. I mean, when I'm in San Antonio, I feel like I'm home, but we had that in common. He had come to the church, and, and honestly, if I could be honest, I think he came because of a couple girls there that were really cute, and I think that's why he came, but we struck up a friendship, and, and uh, you know, when we had time, we'd, we'd ride, and we'd go to, you know, shows. We'd do stuff together, and, and um, you know, we spent a lot of time together, you know, we'd, we'd have lunch or dinner or something here and there, and, and then uh, it was, Easter was coming up, and my, my sister, my younger sister was still alive, and she lived in the area, and my whole family were going to go to her house for Easter. She wanted to fix Easter meal, and I don't know if any of your families are like this, but I grew up like this, where my, my mom and dad, they would, every food there ever was, they had it, I'm just saying. And most of it I didn't like, I'm just telling you. Okay. But they would eat whatever, and we had to eat it and try it and whatever. And my, my younger sister, she never struggled with that. In fact, when, when I was like in high school and she was just a little toddler and stuff, I would always slide her food I didn't want under the table and stuff. She would eat it for me, which was awesome. So so if you can imagine Easter, and I don't know what you guys eat for Easter, but she wanted to do she wanted to do some fancy stuff, which is her, and that's awesome. So she had lamb. Has anybody ever, ever had lamb? I, I mean it's good, but it's not ham, all right, it's lamb, and it's not roast beef, it's lamb, and she had the mint jelly, then she had, um, my parents love these things, I think they look evil, I don't know what they are, they're just, she, they, they had artichokes, do you guys do that, anybody else do that, I mean, what is that, it's just, anyway, looks like you're eating a cactus, doesn't it, seriously, I mean, it's just sitting there, and anyway, they eat that kind of stuff, so she had artichokes for everybody, and then she had a couple other things that, you know, I'm not sure, I can't even remember what they were. Then she had this couscous, you know what that is? I'll tell you what it's not. <laughs> it's not mashed potatoes, all right? And it's not gravy, and it's not even grits. It's different. But it's cool, you know, and I wasn't going to criticize I mean, I, I, I thought it was cool, she's, she's doing all that. So I invited Patrick to go with us, and so we rode down there to her house, and, and uh, you know, we got there, and... Um, this has nothing to do with the story, but my grandma, who was 80, was visiting, and she wanted to ride on my bike with me, so I, I have this picture of, I was, I was trying to find a picture of her. It's pretty funny. So, I mean, we had a helmet on her and everything, but it was comical, so I rode her around town on, on the Harley. It was really, and she was pulling on my arm so hard. Anybody else ride here, ever? Okay. So she was so nervous. She wanted to do it, but she was pulling on my arm so hard that I was having trouble steering because she, was, she just kept like, Grandma, can you stop? Oh, that was exciting. So Patrick comes in the house, and uh, we sit down at the table, and uh, I remember him sitting, he was sitting right beside me, and he's like, he leans over, and he goes, what is this? And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, I've never seen any of these things ever on a table, (laughs) ever. And I'm like, and I'm I'm feeling bad, because I've seen them. I just wouldn't have put them on the table, that's all. I've seen them, but... (laughs) You know, and then he leans over a minute later. He goes, I've never, ever been to a family meal and not had tortillas. Do you not have tortillas? No bread or anything? And I'm looking at him. I realize he's right. And he and I talked about this for a long time afterward because here's what he said. He said, we've been friends a long time, but you never invited me into your life. I'm like, what are you talking about? We've been friends a long time. We've talked about a lot of things. He goes, yeah, but a lot of that was you just counseling me and helping me learn to be a Christian, but I was never in your family till today. And he goes, I don't want to ever eat any of that ever again. (laughs) He goes, but I feel like now we're family. And I looked at him, and I thought, I thought we were already. I thought we were, but we weren't, because we hadn't crossed that barrier. And I'm not saying you all have to have everybody over, I'm just saying there's a depth of relationship that's different and an understanding that's different. You know, and from then on, he thought we were just weird family. And I'm like, we don't always eat this stuff. It's not always like this. But I totally understood where he was coming from and what he was used to. And, and um, I'm just telling you, the relationship was different from then on. But as we continued that relationship, there were times where we realized even then, even then, we usually don't show everybody everything, do we? Right, we're very careful about what we let people see. I mean, even if you were to invite someone in your home, for for in a lot of cases, what you do is, and I mean this, I mean this metaphorically, but as you're inviting them into your life, you you might invite them into the porch, right, and then just bring out the good stuff that you like, and they can see that, or or maybe into the front room, maybe, but then you make sure that's all clean, and everything else you're throwing in rooms and whatever, and you're keeping it all clear, and right. The thing is, it's kind of like the whole social media thing where you're looking at other people's highlight reels, and a lot of times we, we want relationship, but only so far because all we want to show them is the good stuff and nobody wants to get into the deep and the mess and the things that aren't working right and the frustrations and, and, and you know the, the arguments that go on and all we want is the great and exciting and the but here's the problem with that we you may see that in other people, and that's what you want to project, but in your own life, you know it's not that way. So sometimes it's not really hope rising. It's not really hopeful, because sometimes you look at all those things, and you can't really relate all the way because you know that that's not your life, and what you don't know, it's probably not their life either, at least not all the way. It takes a lot of courage to show real life. And to make a difference and to let people into my mess. Because I know that if I, if I keep my distance a little bit, then I'm safer. I can just keep people away. I want to take a look at somebody's life who, if you only looked at one part of his life, you may feel this way about him. I want to talk about Peter, the bold and courageous one. He's my favorite disciple. I can't even, I'm not going to lie. He just is. And if you look at his life, think about, think about his highlight reel. Think about this, God forbid, but think about this if they had social media back then. And think if he was posting on Instagram and Snapchat and, and Facebook for the older people, right? What if he was doing that? What would he be known for? All oh, the older people say, like, what are you talking about? Well, I'm just saying, none of my kids are on there. They're known for, what was he known for? He was known for being bold and speaking his mind and a, and a man's man and standing up for himself and putting everything out there. And, and think about how Jesus called him right off a fishing boat. How cool is that? He's a a working man, and he walks up, and Jesus says, come and follow me, and Peter leaves. Think about what he left. This is the first century, people. It was a difficult time to be alive. He actually had a job and a career. It was a family business, and he walked away. He had an identity that was wrapped up in that, and because of that, it was a big deal that he was willing to step away from known income, known security, family, and I don't know, we don't, we don't get to see all the details. I mean, what do you think his dad said? Like, really, boys? Because his brother walked away too. You know, leave me high and dry here? You're, leave me hanging? I gotta hire people now to do what the family used to do? This is a big deal. But he was bold, he did it. He stepped out. He was the guy that proclaimed his love for Jesus on and on and on. He was bold. He preached the, the sermon on the day of Pentecost. And we're, we're heading up to those days coming up in the, the rest of this, this spring. But I don't know if you know what Pentecost means. It was a Jewish festival. Pente meaning 50. It was was 50 days after the Passover. So Jesus was killed and rose again on the Passover. 50 days later on the day of Pentecost is when Peter preaches his first sermon. First sermon ever. You think he would have posted that? (laughs) About to preach my first sermon ever in the same city that killed Jesus and crucified him. I might be next. This might be my last post right? He could have said that. And we would have all been following him like, whoa, go Peter. He's cool. He's bold. He's tough. He's awesome. Do you know how many people got saved? 3,000 on his first sermon. Oh my goodness. Like super preacher. First sermon, 3,000 get saved. Incredible. You know what else you need to think about? They knew who Peter was. They may not have known the other disciples, but I'll bet you they knew Peter because he was the mouthy loud one. They would have known him. We also think if you look into scripture kind of carefully, you'll realize he was probably also the oldest. Because you remember that one story where they, they confront uh, Jesus and they say, how come, you're, how come you and your, don't, don't you and your disciples pay the temple tax? To pay the temple tax, you had to be an adult. And when, when uh, Jesus said, to, I think it was Peter, he said, go, you know, fish, and the first fish you catch, pull the money out and pay the tax, covered him and Peter. That's it. They knew who Peter was. Him standing up to preach was no small thing. That was a big risk. But then think about all the other things. I mean, he was amazing. Who walked on water? Peter. He's the man. The man. He was bold too. And and remember, we talked last week about he was the one, he was the one who took Christianity to the Gentiles, to the non Jews. That That means he bucked the entire social system that went back thousands of years. That meant he was bucking all of culture. That meant that that he was standing up against people who were probably way, way, way more educated than a simple fisherman. He stood up for them. But that was the Facebook Peter. That was was Facebook Peter. That wasn't his whole life. That's the stuff he would want you to see, right? And that's the stuff he would want to brag about and talk about because those are the things that that he wanted to be famous for. It's kind of like us sometimes. I can imagine, this is stupid maybe, but if he was gonna take selfies what would they look like? I mean, seriously, he'd be on the boat, right? The fishing boat, probably the biggest catch he ever had and all that. He'd be sitting there with his with his boy Jesus. Sounds sacrilegious, I know, I'm just being stupid. Here's the problem. We can't live up to that. We can't. None of us can live up to that. I, I don't know if I've seen 3,000 people saved in my whole ministry in 36 years. That's... I I wish we had, right? And I know very few of you have walked on water. I know that none of us, none of us in this room have have passed out fish and loaves and seen it multiplied to 5,000 people and then another time 4,000. None of us have done that. None of us could really relate to that Facebook, Peter, there's no way, no way, no way. And if you're just going to look at that, then, then the rest of us, we're walking around with chaos and brokenness and hurts and anger and arguments and unhappiness and things that aren't right in our lives and thank god the bible doesn't do that do you notice that the bible is so real it doesn't show just the facebook peter it shows everything about peter that's what makes one that's one of the things that you know you can trust it because if it wasn't real they would have just made up all the good stuff and then yeah try to live up to this and that's not what it does what it does is it shows him in all his human failings. It shows him in, in all the things he tries to do and then doesn't, doesn't make it. and comes up short. I love that about the Bible. It's, it would be, this is what it would be. It would be the Instagram no filter. You know what I'm talking about? You see someone's picture and you're like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. But they have to put no filter so you understand, no, that's exactly how it looked. It'd be no makeup. It'd be like, I actually saw this statistic like a year ago, how many average tries somebody takes before they actually post a selfie. You guys aware of this? It's amazing. They were saying in this article that the average is like 21, and it's actually almost that many tries for men, because you're trying to get the right angle, right, and the right sun, and you want to make sure your nose looks just right, and, oh, my gosh, I can see. I don't want people to see what I really look like. Yeah, it is too late. Thanks for that. She's <laughs> like, too late. The fuller truth is that Peter failed royally. He failed royally. He bragged and he couldn't live up to it. He, he couldn't deliver on his, on his promises. He promised huge, big things, and he fell flat on his face. He gave in to fear, and he gave in to, to that need for security and that need for safety. What I want to do is look at a few passages of Scripture that kind of illustrate his greatest failure of all. Let's, let's turn here to Matthew 26. On the way, Jesus told them, tonight, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have raised, been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee to meet you there. They didn't catch the raised from the dead go to Galilee part. <laughs> Instead, Peter says, even if everyone else deserts you, you realize they were walking together, right? <laughs> That's how he was. He's like, even if all these guys... Desert you? Not me. And I'm sure they're like, dang, Peter, stop. You're doing it again. He goes, them? Yeah, maybe, but not me. This very night, then Jesus replies, this very night, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times, deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you, never. And all the, all the other disciples follow Peter making the same vow. Man, I don't know about you, but anyway, Peter's saying to Jesus, no, you don't get it. I'm the courageous one. I'm the bold one. I'm the, I'm the one everybody knows. I'm, I'm the guy. I lead all these other guys. Then when the moment of truth comes, Jesus is arrested in the garden. Now, one thing, on, to, to Peter's credit, you realize he did at least try to defend Jesus, and he strikes out with a sword. And, and I've heard a little few different views on this because the Bible says that he, he cuts off this servant Named Malchus, he cuts off his ear. I've never really swung a sword at somebody like that, but I'm not sure how you just cut off an ear. That's all I'm saying. I don't know how that works. And the Bible says Jesus healed it and said, Put that away. So we jump right in there to the rest of the story. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples, and I'll just cue you in. It's John. This is John's book. He refers to him as in this, himself in the third person a lot in this book. He says, As did another of the disciples, the other disciple, John, was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest, I don't know why he just didn't say I, but he didn't, spoke to the woman watching the gate, and she let Peter in. Then the woman asked Peter, You're not, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I'm not. I don't know about you. I, I've thought just through this story a million times. Because, you know, it's so easy to skip to the end, and we know the rooster crows, and he denied him three times, but on this first denial, I wonder what happened. I wonder if he was, he wasn't thinking about it so much as a denial, it's just, I gotta get in there, right? And he made a little compromise, but he probably wasn't even thinking about it on terms of a denial, he was thinking of it, yeah, 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 just let me in. No, I'm not. Bold, courageous Peter, giving in to fear, chooses safety and comfort. He chooses himself, his Lord. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again. You're not one of his disciples, are you? And he denies it, saying, no, I'm not. John was there, too. Why didn't they call out John? You know why I think? Because Peter was the one. He's the one that, that, that put his mouth out there all the time, right? He's the one shooting out of his mouth, and I bet, I bet he was super recognizable because of that. So John, yes, John was one of the disciples, but I bet he blended in to some degree, so they, they weren't calling out John, but they're calling out Peter, and he denies Jesus a second time. Then, but one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had just cut off a few minutes ago, uh, asked, wait a minute, didn't I see you with that sword swinging around like a wild man? And again, Peter denies it, and immediately a rooster crows. We don't have any roosters in our neighborhood, bless the Lord. But have you ever done that? Not swing a sword, not hear a rooster crow, but done what Peter did? Now, I know none of us have, were there. I get that. None of us, maybe none of you have even had the experience to deny Jesus, not as if somebody came up and said, hey, are you a Christian? You'll, know not. No, it's not that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the other things. Maybe you betrayed a friend or been caught in a lie or maybe you failed miserably and a rooster crows. And the truth is out in the open, and maybe you have a true friend, a true friend would tell you, and you hear a rooster crow. Or maybe it's the Holy Spirit whispering in your ear. And as the Holy Spirit whispers in your ear, and I mean I don't mean necessarily a voice, but just that impression, and saying, That's you. Maybe you're hearing that this morning. And the Holy Spirit's saying, He's talking about you, because you've done those things. You failed. You've said you were going to live like this, but then you couldn't follow through. You've said you would do this, but you didn't. You said you would live for me like this, but you didn't. You said you would quit this, but you didn't. And a rooster's crowing right now. Maybe you've talked big. like You've, you've pleaded with God and you said, God, forgive me. I will never, ever do this again. I, w- I will live for you pure and clean forever. But you've blown it. And hope isn't rising anymore, but instead gets trapped because you've chosen selfishness or protection or just yourself. Peter had all the opportunity in the world. Think about it. Everybody recognized him as a leader. Everybody saw the raw material, the gifts that he had. And even he had to step back and think, man, everybody sees me as a leader and I'm gonna do all this stuff. It's awesome. And in the end, he fails. Missed opportunities. opportunities. And you hear that rooster crow. Do you you think, well, I know. Jesus chose Peter because of all those qualities. Did you ever think about that? He chose Peter because he knew as he started the church, he would need someone who was was raw and, and somebody who was bold and somebody who would take risks and somebody who would stand up and preach 50 days after he died to a crowd who knew nothing. He knew that. He knew he needed somebody who would lead a new church, someone who'd do that. Jesus knew it. And I wonder what in the world could have been going through Peter's mind because Jesus is crucified hours after this happens. And for the next three days, Peter's tormented, no doubt, by all of this. What's going through his mind? I'll bet you he's thinking, and he's thinking about the missed opportunities, and maybe, maybe, maybe he's thinking about some of the great successes, and he's thinking about what it was like to walk on water, and here's the rooster, and he realized, oh, yeah, I sank. And then maybe he's thinking about passing out the bread, and what an incredible miracle, and I was part of that, and I've, I've been with people and prayed with them and seen them healed and seen their lives changed, and I just denied Jesus three times. I'm a failure. I'm a failure. Everybody saw the potential, and, and now where am I? What is going on? three days can't even imagine the torment you know their culture he probably heard a rooster crow a lot of times in three days wouldn't be like here be more like a third world country that you might go to today with chickens running everywhere and every time that rooster crows do you realize jesus at one point sat him down and he said who do you believe that i am and and peter's the one none of the other guys peter said you are the christ the son of the living god and then jesus said Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my spirit, and upon this rock I will build my church. What did he think those three days? You realize by church, it didn't mean building. In the Greek, the word is ekklesia, which was a word that was used. It was mainly a political world. It meant, it meant people who have come together for a certain purpose. Today, it's the words, the actual word in the Greek was, was more accurately would be translated congregation or Get this assembly, assembly of God. He was picked to lead that. I <laughs> Wonder if he sat there and thought, "I'm no rock, I'm not a rock at all." Jesus told him he would make him a fisher of men, and he's sitting there and he, "I'm not even that." And a rooster crows. Have you ever been caught in a lie? Have you ever had somebody call you out? You know that feeling. Imagine if you were the one, though, to deny Jesus and you're living with regret. You're just living with regret over and over and over. Maybe you failed your husband or your wife. Maybe you failed in your job or or a good friend. Maybe you've just failed what you know God has called you to do, just yourself. Thank God the story doesn't end there. And it doesn't end there for any of us. Because as you know, the story, we touched on it last week, but Jesus rises from the dead. And then as he comes, I think what may have happened here is that Peter was probably really excited that Jesus rose from the dead, but because of his failures, because of his denials, he probably assumed that his part in all of that was gone. That train had left the station. How many other metaphors can I do here? That ship had sailed right? I blew it. It's over for me. Jesus going to have to pick somebody else. I'm tainted, damaged goods. He can't use me because I'm a failure. can't use me because I'm not worthy. So what happens is he decides to maybe go back to what he used to do. Remember what he used to do? So the Bible says, yeah, he's gonna go fish. <laughs> Peter says, I'm going fishing. We'll all come too, they say. They're still following him. So they went out in the boat and they caught nothing all night. I, I didn't see this in the scripture till last night as I was going over the sermon again and I, I laughed out loud. He failed at fishing. Do you see this? <laughs> He's a failure, and all three days he's probably just tormented by that. And he says, well, at least I can fish. And he goes out, and they fish all night long, and they catch nothing, nothing. And at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he calls out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. You ever do that when you're fishing? Maybe you're in a boat and you're passing somebody. You guys got anything? You got anything? You know, and they're like, no, we haven't caught anything. It's a cool story. Because Jesus yells back to him and he says, throw your nets on the other side. And then what happens is they end up catching these, a huge amount of fish. But they counted them. We have the number. This one of those, another one of those things where you know you can trust the Bible because people would say, well, how did they know there was 153 fish? They were there and they counted them. Wouldn't you count them? A miracle like that? They were fishermen. Of course it mattered how many they caught. They caught 153 fish. And then they recognized Jesus. And just like you would expect, bold Peter does what? He jumps in the water and swims over to meet him. I wonder as he was swimming, if, I don't know if you've ever done this, where you start to go do something and you think, what am I doing? He's swimming and he's like, I can't go back now. But what's Jesus gonna say to me? What's he gonna look at me like? What do I say to him? And I'm sure with each stroke, he's swimming and he's just thinking, God, what's going to happen? But I can't go back. That's embarrassing. Can't just stop. And he gets there. And here's the, one of the most beautiful scenes, I think, in, one of, in the whole Bible. And you may never have seen it this way before, but what would Jesus do? I'll tell you what he does, not what we do. He's not like us. He's not. He's not. Here's the beauty of the story. What happens is when Peter gets to shore, Jesus is serving them again. Just like he did on the on the night he was betrayed, like we just celebrated communion. That fuller story is at one point almost falls. Jesus goes and he he takes his robe off and he washes all their feet. The job of a servant. And then when Peter gets to the shore, the Bible says Jesus has a fire going. He's got fish roasting and bread for them. He's serving him breakfast. You know what that means? You know what that means? Jesus wanted relationship with him. He wanted relationship and connection and life together. He could have blasted him, right? He could have said, stop right there. Stop right there. You need to wait for the other guys because you are no better than them, right? Couldn't he have said, you stop right there. In fact, I got a seat for you over there. The rest of the guy's gonna be here with me. Could have done that, right? He could have blasted it all over Facebook. You know how people do, right? Not trying to offend anybody, but that's an announcement. I'm gonna be offensive. I hope this doesn't make lose me any followers, but yeah, whatever, that's not what God does. He doesn't do that. He didn't do that. He could have. He could have reminded him, oh, wait, wait, are you, are you Peter? Because I seem to remember a guy who looked a lot like you who said he would die for me, and you didn't do that. You ran. He Could have done that, but that's not what God does. He doesn't do that to him, and he doesn't do it to you. That's not what he does. He served Peter. He served him. And I, I don't want to make too much of this, but we were talking about this in our family the other day, just about the fact that meals are relationship, but more so in this culture than ours. In their culture, you sit down and eat together before you do anything. And some cultures are like that. I know I took a group of students to Russia like in 92, and uh, it was hard for us to get used to the way they do it. Like we would go to the school, we were supposed to do testimonies and all this stuff, and we had all this stuff planned to do, And every school or university we went to, we had to go in and meet with the principal or the administrators and sit down and talk and have tea and these really horrible cookies. (laughs) And at one point I said to our translator, why are we doing this? Can't we just get to what we came to do? And I didn't say it quite like that, but that that is what I said. And she said, "Um, doesn't relationship matter to you? Don't you want to know them and them to know who you are? And I was looking at her like, yes, I'm a rude American. Just want to get to work. What Jesus was telling him is, I want relationship with you. He showed him that, Peter, you matter. You still matter. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It's kind of an eerie thing that he did do here because that's almost exactly what Peter said on the way to the garden. These guys might fail you, but not me. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replies. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Then Jesus repeats the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. A third God, sorry. A third time he's asked him, "Simon, son of John, do you love me?" And at this point, Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time, and he says, "Lord, you know everything. you know I love you." And Jesus said, "Feed my sheep." I think what Jesus was doing there is emphasizing the fact there were three denials, there needed to be three forgivenesses there. There were three times he, he failed him. And he was telling him, I'm aware of all that, Simon. I get it. But I'm restoring you all those times. I think it's like this, too. By the way, I want relationship with you. Because Peter probably didn't know what was coming and what that even meant. And when he said, I want you to feed my sheep, he was saying to him, you still matter. You think you've blown it and there's no future, but there is You think you've blown it and I don't have anything that that you can do for me? That's not true. You matter. And I have a job for you that only you can do. By the way, I still have work for you to do. I still have things that matter for you to do. And by the way, you have purpose. You have purpose. Now, I know you may be sitting and you're thinking, well... I, that's Peter, yeah, and he's the preacher and he did all this and he did all that and all that. And yeah, that's true. That's not the point. The point is that he restored Peter. Talk about hope rising. Oh my goodness, I hope rise, hope rises in you. I hope, I hope that you see that there's hope for you, that there's hope for you. Now, it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or, or what you've said or what lie you've told or, or who you've disappointed. He has things for you to do. And you matter to him. And there's hope for you. Does that make your hope rise? I hope it does. It goes way past Facebook mess. It goes way into the idea that that there is more that God can do in you that he's even done before. I'm so grateful for this story because I almost said TBH. Just kidding. I'm not going to say that. To be honest, I can't relate to Peter. Not the Facebook Peter. I mean, really, who could? But this guy I can relate to. The guy who says he's gonna do and then can't quite follow through. The guy who, who tries and tries and then fails. I can relate to that. I can relate to the guy who promises all that but then falls short because that's real life. That's who I can relate to. And maybe you here today are walking and you're in that place. And you're thinking, really, if that's all true, that I can be restored and he could put, use me again? And I'm not saying you have to preach and 3,000 people get saved because God calls us all to such different things. It doesn't have to be like that. He calls you to live a life for him. Maybe what he's doing is you're gonna be the one that restores. Maybe he's calling you to do that restoration. Maybe it's a relationship that you're part of and you need to do the forgiving. And as we are hearing this, you realize the fact that you also failed, been restored, someone's failed you, And now they need restored, and you're part of it. Here's the bottom line. Where you see failure, God sees future. He doesn't leave us in our mess. That's not who he is. Where you see failure, he sees future. And it means a future for you, for him, for her, for them. I would like the worship team to join me. Maybe for you. You're looking at this and you're thinking, "Yeah, but you don't understand what's happened. You know what? I don't. And I don't know, and I don't need to know, because we serve a God who not only knows, but loves you so deeply that he never stops pursuing you, ever. He never stops pursuing you. You could walk away from him and turn away and keep going, but he is still there. And when you repent and come to him and say, "God, I am sorry," He forgives." And maybe, as I was mentioning a minute ago, that you might be the one that needs to forgive. It might be difficult for you. Do you need to understand that God is the one who, not only does he the judge, but he's the one who restores and he's the one that heals. had someone say to me, this has been a while ago, but it it cracked me up when they said it. They said, you realize you're not the Holy Spirit, right? (laughs) I'm like, what? They said, well, you're trying to fix this and fix that and help this and help that. The Holy Spirit does the work. He does the work. We are partner in it, but he does the work. For some of you, it means that you need to open your arms in your home. and Maybe it means you invite someone to a connect group and you actually give them a ride and go with them. And because of that, there's restoration that happens. And maybe for you, like like I mentioned in the beginning, talking about my friend Patrick, to go to a different level and to do what Jesus did and and have dinner and make a, a relationship that is deeper and more connected than ever before listening to someone's story. Maybe for you it's volunteering. I'm glad for the ones who went yesterday the avenue of life and volunteered. And the other opportunities we have might be something as simple as giving a smile to somebody who feels like it's past and there's no hope. (laughs) Here's where it gets kind of personal. Maybe it means you apologize to somebody. And as I'm talking right now, and maybe the Holy Spirit is making real to you who that is, and you're thinking right now, I'm not ready for that. They don't deserve it. You're probably right, but you didn't either. I didn't either. Peter didn't either. Fact is, you may need to text somebody right now. or today, you could text in church. I'd be all right with that. If you're texting somebody God's put on your heart and you might say something like, "Hey, I know this might come out of the blue, but I'm sorry." For this I'm sorry where our relationship is i want to make it better if you feel god leading you to do that feel free where you see failure god sees a future we're going to end our service this way today if 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 you're a pastor wife board member wife prayer team if you would come forward for just a minute i want to take just a few minutes and pray with people whoever wants to be prayed for would you all stand with me As you stand for just a minute, you may be standing here and you may be thinking, I need help with this. I can't do it on my own. Would you all shut your eyes for a second? And those of you who are gonna pray, if you come down with your eyes closed. If that's you and you feel like, man, I need help with this. I need to do this, but I I don't know how I could do it on my own. And you need help with this, but you you feel like God is calling you to be either restored or part of restoration. Would you just raise your hand for a second because we wanna pray with you. I do see those hands. God sees those hands. And we're going to pray. But as we close this service, if you are needing prayer for anything specific, it might be a situation you just need to tell somebody, I want to invite you to come and pray with one of these. If you're here and, and maybe, maybe you want to even know Christ himself and become a Christian, I want to give you a chance to come and pray for a minute. So let's do that as, as we just spend a moment in waiting. <clears throat> If you'd like prayer for anything, just come on down here.